Welcome to Tilt Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about why is there still water hemp in my field? In our spotlight, we'll look at the Crave Brothers being named 2022 Grandmaster Cheesemakers. Egg History Minute, we'll talk about glyphosate resistance. And we'll wrap things up with some cool beans, that's corny, and some current events. So with me today are Bill Schombert. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up everybody? And I am Matt Brueger, all with Tilt Agronomy. So here we are, it's August, and we're still talking about water hemp. <laughs> sad, sad, sad. It's like our revolving door of issues, right? Just keeps going. Yep, I mean, even though we have, I would say, better control than we would have had five years ago, <clears throat> it's still an issue. It still hangs around. It's still there. The brewers don't have control of their season, though. No, I think it's ready. I'm ready for the Packers to start. I yep. mean, we could be done with preseason already. Watch Jordan Love throw three more picks this week, maybe. I don't know. They kind of the brewers kind of got us to Packers season. Not quite though. Usually, think if they wouldn't have traded Hater. <laughs> although. Although I don't think he's done much in... No, he's getting shelled out there, too. Yeah. It was funny because they got hammered the first game against the Dodgers, and then they came back and beat him in extras a couple days ago, and it was like, oh, my God, here we go. And then they couldn't score a run, not two, or they got one run again last night. So I feel like we've seen this before. Like, the we'll get really close. We'll tie it up in some of these games and then blow it completely. Yeah. It's almost like we don't have a good guy to close out the games. Really? You think do, so? Do we ever have one? Nope. That, that's always the issue. Like, these guys think they're smarter than they are. Like, okay, we have a great eight, eight, eighth inning guy. Well, he can be the closer, right? Like, let's trade our closer. He can move in the role. It's still different. I, I get to the point, like, oh, you got to get something for Hater while you can. Well, what did we gain right now? Actually, I think the dumbest thing they did isn't trading Hater because... He was putting the other guy on waivers. That guy. Yeah. yeah. Lamette, the guy that's in the Rockies, is just tearing it up. Like, why would you... That I didn't understand. If you're going to trade for four guys, why do you let one of them go? Yeah, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. No. No. Let's talk about something better, like where the Badgers came out in the first AP poll. Yeah. 18. 18. 18. I'll That's take respectable. it. It's all going to hinge on number five. I was going to say on number zero. Graham. It's more on Graham than it is on yeah. zero because he's going to bowl people over. Yeah, we know what zero is going to do for us, I guess. <laughs> That's a badass number, by the way. Yeah. Not everybody can, gets to say they're zero. Right? I, think, I, think they, I think we're ranked 18th. I think we're probably like in the top 10 by the... I don't know. I just I think they forget how good Braylon Allen really is, yeah, and that he literally is going to win games by himself. Yep. Well, him in an offensive line, right? I think if Graham can be, like, just not throw that Brett Favre like back backbreaking interception. Can he be like a sixth round draft pick quarterback? Like that's all we need. That's all we need. I mean, his talent should be better than that. But that's all we need is a six-round draft pick. Right. Like, we don't need anything better. No. We just need you to not be a total screw-up is really what it comes down to. Yep. Which is a struggle. 
apparently. The good news is they get three pan- three uh, cupcakes to start the season, so he can work his way and then go to Ohio State and get kicked. Then get, yes. Annihilated. Clobbered. Yeah. You know, last year we started out with Penn State. Should have won the game, but. So they kind of get some cupcakes to get rolling. So you're going to the game Friday night, Max? Yeah, I'll be at the Packer, Packer game Friday night. Try that out. Me yeah. too. Oh, cool. Yeah, small place. Probably, <laughs> yeah. probably see each other. Possibilities. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, go check it out. So it should be fun. I mean, going to Lambeau is fun, no matter what. No matter what the game is, going to Lambeau is fun. Being around, it's fun. And being preseason, you can enjoy yourself. Yeah. Hopefully you're going to see some, some good stuff, but it's not. there's no, no stakes really at it. No, no worries that a blocked punt to score a touchdown for the other team will end your season yep. while you're there. You could Why would you not, do that? <laughs> you could not wear six layers of clothes and be comfortable this time of year, yeah. which is nice. They do not have preseason pricing, though, I heard. On, really? On refreshments. They do not on have. On refreshments. On the game, there is. Yeah, on tickets, yes. But, but on refreshments, I heard it's the same price. Same so. price. That's a Times are tough, Max. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder how um, Packers need to buy up the rest of the neighborhood so they can yeah. make their money. Was it the Falcons that did like reduce pricing? Yeah, they were really cheap. I wonder if they're continuing to do that and how that actually worked out. If people bought more and they made the same amount or more money by doing it that way. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I mean, you would think people would be. Once you get three beers in, what's what's four, right? When they're cheap, right? So. And you know they're making a killing. Yeah. yeah. They're paying a buck or they're paying you, you have no less choice than a buck. To buy right? Right. Oh, the whole thing's a mess now, too, with the cashless. I, that just drives me nuts. Yeah. That, like, in, not that pulling cash out of your wallet was any better when it was zero degrees, but for some reason it felt better than Which means trying to get your credit card There's out. no vendors going up and down the stands, right? Or are right. they doing that? No. I'm su- I wouldn't be surprised if. They start doing that again and just have like a barcode reader or something. Sure. Because like, so many people are on their phones now anyway. With You can do Google Wallet, right. Samsung Wallet, Apple Wallet, like all these different things. Like, why can't you just scan? I'll tell you something that was really cool. We went to Windy City Smokeout two weeks ago, which is a country music and barbecue festival. And your wristband that you had to have to get in, you could scan that wristband at all the... Oh, food places and good. it was hooked up to your you could hook up to your credit card debit nice. card whatever so all night i never took my wallet out of my pocket i just that is that is awesome that is awesome yeah you just have to pre-register sure you have, well and you don't even have to actually they had a place there where you could go and you know pay 40 dollars cash and you had 40 dollars on your wristband but yeah to me at this point your tickets are already online like yeah you're basically on your phone so yeah why wouldn't they do something like that so how did you tip or didn't you have to you could tip on the yeah. So the wristband. So they had an iPad basically with sure. like a scanner attached to it, and you just held it over the iPad, and then they'd do the whole turn it around thing and yep. show you because you had to hit it like that you accepted it. Got but it. Yeah. No, I'm trying to trying to pull my tickets up right now. That is cool because they are on your they are on your phone like they're because even now like most restaurants and stuff the tip's just a checkbox. It is. Like I they do the four percent things or whatever. So it was like. 15, 20, 25, or whatever. Or no tip. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my ticket. Yeah, he's showing us a picture of his phone. And they don't even have, I mean, they don't even barcodes on. Or, it's always great video trying to show a phone. Yeah. But, like, that's, I would never carry my Packer tickets with me 
like when they were paper tickets? No. Heck no. My dad like kept them in his pocket until uh, we got right to the gate. They'd be yeah. like, all right, here's your... I'm 16, 17, 18 yeah. years old. Oh, yeah. All right, here's your ticket. Now, don't lose it. <laughs> now, they're on, my, they're on my phone. Like, well, whatever. In the days when the Brewers weren't very good, we, had our, we were, went to a game. We had a party of, I don't know, 10 or so, and somebody dropped their ticket and didn't realize it until we got to the gate. So we could just buy a new one. Because the brewery sucked. Yeah. But you do that. But I'm a ticket guy. I got like in, got in a shoebox, I got all my tickets from. Yeah. Me. So I'm, this makes me mad because. Well, you can take a screenshot. I guess off. so. That's not the same. It's not the same. I got a lot of tickets saved too. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of Cole Center state wrestling tickets. Sure. You get five, one per session, five sessions a year for yep. I'm up to like 15 years now. So there's a lot of. I always like to go back and look at the ticket price. Yeah, see how much. I think changed. I paid it as a student at UW like nine dollars a game or seven dollars a game. Yeah, I don't think it's that cheap no. anymore. No, it's still hey, cheaper. But we went to see the Badgers basketball team a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I bought tickets for everybody. It was a dollar a ticket. I paid more in the service fee to get the tickets <laughs> than I did for the actual tickets. Yep. So Jordan Love plays three quarters, two quarters? Probably. I'd say three. Just ride them, right? Why not? Yeah. See what the kids got. Your backup at this point isn't probably going to be on the team. The end, Danny Elling guy, right? Yeah. So ride the guy you're going to keep. I saw something the other day that I think is worth noting. Yes, do we want Jordan Love to be better than he is? Sure. He's younger than Kenny Pickett, who was just drafted this year. Yep. He is a month older than Justin Fields. Is he in the same spot that those two guys are in? Absolutely he is. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we want better, but but he's still just a kid. He's got time. He'll figure it out. The only, the only time crunch is on his contract. That's going to be the... Right. They were already talking about potentially putting him up for trade and other, some other stuff, so who knows what that'll look like. But the callers on Green Bay Sports Radio just calling in yes. and saying, like, we ruined the entire franchise when we drafted him. Chill out. Same people that she, said that. What, what, where did we hear that before? Yeah. yeah. Aaron Rodgers? Do they forget how long Aaron Rodgers sat on the bench? And how or how, or how bad he was yeah. a couple times we saw him in his first three yeah. years? Right. It's a funny thing. I'll tell you what. It's a funny thing. I mean, Jordan Love almost won a game. They were close. Yeah. I mean, they could have won that... that uh, Chiefs game, was it last year or year before? Yeah, that's the game I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, it was close. Right. It was way closer than it should have been with a, a rookie quarterback and Patrick Mahomes on the other side. Right. Hey, Jordan Love almost beat Patrick Mahomes. Well, in, our defense in almost beat. <laughs> Jordan Love contributed enough. It's kind of like, and Todd's not here, so he can't defend himself, but he always was a big lover of Tim Tebow. It's like, yeah, Tim Tebow didn't win games. Matt Prater did. Yeah. Why does it not? Why does that not surprise me in the slightest? That Todd's a Tim Tebow guy. Unreal. He's winning games. Like no, no, his team is winning games. Maybe he's a big fan of the jump pass, the javelin throw that that guy had for. Oh my gosh! Like you look at his wind up, and he's practically to his butt with that ball before he throws in the air. Oh, but you know he—he's a Hall of Famer now, right? Oh, oh wait, no. no. Tight end. He, he tried to be a tight end, and even his college he, coach couldn't 
justify keeping him. Started as a tight end, and right. then just no, he was never really a quarterback. He wasn't able to make it on a team that was coached by possibly the worst ever NFL coach. Urban Meyer <laughs> might have had the worst yeah. NFL coaching performance ever last season. That was just uh, ugly, everything about it. Yeah, that was bad. It's good times, though. All right. You guys ready to get into our topic for today? Yep. You bet. All right. So why is water hemp hanging around? Bill, what do you got for us on that? So, yeah, this topic was actually uh, brought to my attention, or we talked about with one of our loyal listeners. Thanks, Joe. Um, you know, we're in August here now. We've done all our herbicide passes. Feels like a thousand of them. And we still got water hemp. Not in every field, but there's still fields. I drove by a couple yesterday that doesn't look like they paid attention at all. Um, but otherwise, there's still a few fields that got a stray plant, you know, sticking out here or there. And that was kind of the discussion is why, why are those still there? Um, so we're going to go into... How are we trying to control water hemp? What what factors, environmental and others, that may affect how good or poor that water hemp dies? Um, you know, just kind of have a conversation about what can we do and what can we try next year. And I think there's some things with the changes in conservation that may we need to take consideration with maybe more residue and things like that, that we maybe we're spraying less brown dirt these days than... You know, just tilling the heck out of it and spraying. Uh, so how do how do we kill a water hemp, right? So we're going at it three different ways. We're doing a pre, right? Most every guys are planting and then spraying right away or slightly right after planting with some pick your, pick your poison, right? And then we're doing some layered residual most of the time, whether that's a planned like 30 days, whether it's, whether it's there or not, I'm going out, or 25, whatever you think. I got a couple growers that, especially in these last two springs that have been somewhat cool, they've decided to push that from 30 to a little bit further, figuring going that... more like 45 Yeah, 40. figuring that that first week or so of, of bean planting, nothing really happened in the soil. Well, and, and two, depending on when you get a rain activation and stuff, maybe right. right off a little bit. And then our traditional posts. So we're probably doing Roundup because there may be some grasses or something like that in. And then we're adding our traded herbicide, whether that's if you're still doing Extend. I think the majority of everybody is doing Enlist now. And then there's a still a little bit of Liberty, I think, hanging, liberty, hanging around liberty, out there. Liberty, yep. Still laying around. Still laying around. So, I mean, man, that's three different ways, and we're still having these suckers come through. Um, so I think some of it is, is I think chemistry, we're getting a lot out there. It's just maybe timing, weather conditions, other factors. So what, what reduces herbicide effectiveness? And it's, um, soil conditions would be one of them. Obviously that's the easiest one, right? Is, is the soil moisture, what soil type you have, what is the pH of your soil? Obviously, you know, pH can affect the effectiveness of it. Um, soil type, if you have higher organic matter, you're going to get tie-up. Uh, 
Yeah, you gotta, you gotta re- read the label. What? Really? What? Because hey. it is different for different soil types. If Correct. you look at a lot of these labels, your yep. sandy soil versus your heavy clay, there's there's different choices you, you need to make. So, Some other things, weather factors, right? If it's a drought, you know, we've had a lot of the country this year has been in a drought. We went through our stretches of issues, and I got a story, I think, why some of my fields were issues because of drier weather uh, or flooding. You know, we could we could just flat lose it. That's a two it's two way street there. Feast or famine. And we did have early on in May, was it May or June? May. Yeah. We had some areas of the state that had nine inches in a couple hours, so um, Yeah, this has been the year for heavy rainfalls because we had the early one up to the north. We had a heavy one just recently, and even about a month ago, like central Wisconsin, there were some areas that got big rainfall amounts too. So just these kind of random heavy rains are going to play havoc on a lot of things out there. And then I think the next two are something that I haven't really given a lot of thought of over the years, and I think maybe some others haven't as well, just talking to people about this issue. And those would be like surface residue. So whether that's corn stalks that you had last year, maybe a cover crop that you planted last year and that died and that residue is there, or maybe it's you're planting, planting green, Max's favorite thing to do. And, yep. that, and that residue is still there. Um, I'm, I'm, the more I'm looking at fields and the more I'm seeing this, I think some of that herbicide isn't getting to the soil yep. because it's stuck on that residue and we don't get a rain or something of that nature to get it off the plants into the soil. Um, so I don't know that our whole active ingredient is getting down where we need to be. So does that mean we got to, especially early on, when we're trying to fight that residue to get to the soil, do we need to increase rates a little bit to maybe mitigate that? And then the other one that I really had never given a lot of thought about is photodegradation. So if now we're spraying these herbicides, they're getting on top of these leaves, and the sun is there baking on it. Does that reduce it a little bit? And I think sure. certain herbicides it does. Um, so it's those kind of things to think about when you're actually making that application because, let's face it, our soybean planting conditions and what we're planting into in the fields, what they look like are way different today than they were even 10 years ago, right? With all the different cover crops and everything that we're using. Um, soil microbes, that's another issue if we're promoting soil health and we have more soil bacteria and fungus in the soil. Are they working on the herbicides a little bit faster to reduce effectiveness? That um, could be. And then um, it, just a flat half-life of the herbicide. So a, flat, a half-life is how long does it take for that active to get 50% of what you put out there? So there's a lot of different half-lifes in herbicides. Every one is a little bit different. So if you have a herbicide that the half-life is a little bit shorter, you're going to get to the point where that herbicide runs out faster than some other ones. Um, and then always sprayer issues. I think we got to still focus on that. Um, we're changing products and probably not changing nozzles maybe to match those products. Um, 
And I think one thing that the conversation I had with a couple of growers about this is coverage. Um, do we need to change from just like a flat fan to maybe a cone style where there's getting more coverage and then, or like a twin where you're, where you're pointing forward and backwards. <clears throat> so both directions, so yeah. you're getting it double almost. Um, I think that's part of it. Um, the one thing I really, I guess, kind of wanted to focus on was the, the photo degradation part of it. Um, and then like activation and rainfall. And the story I had was um, grower, really bad water hemp issues. We sprayed it with a pre, um, normal planting time. We expected water hemp to come back, and it did. Um, end of June, we were starting to see some pop through, um, which was late, later than I expected. So our plan was to go um, Liberty, 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 Liberty. <laughs> um, because that's just what, um, there were E3 beans, so they had bought in Liberty. We're going to use some Outlook. Um, and that's what we're going to do. We're just going to run that. We weren't going to do Roundup because we've, we just kind of had the water hemp. It didn't have quack or anything weird. Um, so the plan was to spray like five or five-ish days before um, just worked out they were going to spray before the 4th of July. And at that point, it was still pretty dry. So we sprayed, um, got really good kill on the water hemp that was emerged. You know, we got our outlook out there, so we thought we were set. Um, it was dry, and then I believe 4th of July kind of was our tipping point of rain this year. We started to get some rain at that point. Yep, yep. Um, so, so it rained. I'm like, okay, great. We sprayed it we got the ones that are dead the outlook's there it's rain now we should be set well lo and behold two weeks later i'm walking some fields like scratching my head my scouts come back they walk some other ones of the same grower and they're like we got water hemp again i'm like i know i saw it too and i'm like what in the world we sprayed liberty we killed what was there the outlook should should have carried us um i'm just thinking the way the water hemp emerged and the way just it worked out was we between when we sprayed like the 28th of June and we got that rain on the 4th on those six days some of that stuff germinated yep and it wasn't there to get it so this this delayed emergence extended emergence of water hemp is probably the biggest issue right that's why we're seeing it I mean we're really even now it's barely getting to the end of when it can emerge right because i mean it could, it could go through a good chunk of august here depending on yeah i was on weather so i was finding plants this week that were emerging yeah. you know so i mean we you know we just swear at them yeah <laughs> we can carry through as far as we want but <laughs> it was right as i was getting done picking a bunch you know we're not going to spray now not with beans no at the stage they're at so it's not you know the control aspect we have to do is as best of a job we can early. And that's where, you know, looking at your list of things here, um, your photo degradation, soil conditions, weather factors, things that we can't really control. We just have to work around them as best we can. And, you know, I've, I've been wondering myself, looking at soybeans this year, especially we had such a late canopy. Yeah. On It didn't matter if it was... I mean, drilled beans were probably the exception, but 15s, 20s, 30s, you just weren't 
I mean, you your beans probably were canopied yet Fourth of July, were they? Oh heck no! Yeah. they were only like I'm doing. Nope. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing f- some maybe hand a gestures foot tall. here. Maybe yeah. a maybe a foot tall. Yeah. So I mean, it, you know, other years we we would have potentially had canopy or been a lot closer than we were this year in that time frame. So yeah, it's managing what we can manage and and like you said, you know, rainfall may have had an impact there lack of canopy that emergence window of of water hemp it's just there's a lot of factors that that we have to take into account so the more i've gotten to thinking is instead of this three-pronged approach like pre-emergence right away get it out there before you know all these herbicides like sonic and authority first and zidro we got to get out there before emergence or we ding the beans do we delay a little bit? Like, no, I'm, I'm with you on that one because especially how cold it was this year, right. we know water hemp's not emerging, so we're wasting kind of that residual yeah. by having it out there. Like, yeah, you're not going to be able to use deciduas and all those, but maybe you go to Max's favorite one duel or Outlook and you... <laughs> My favorite <laughs> I'm one. I'm just saying. <laughs> you push it back, you know, till Anthemax. An early post. It's got my name in it. So it's got your name in it. Then you get that longer window in the season as far as more control, and then you can still come back with something later. Right. Um, You're still going to be in a, an easy spraying window if you delay your first path. Yeah. And maybe some guys just aren't going to be comfortable with that. But So, like, just to finish my story, I felt, you know, you feel bad as an agronomist. You come back to the farmer and say, yeah, you sprayed them twice, and we got to go again. <laughs> like, okay, that sucks. So the good news with this farmer is we came back the third time. We used Roundup because we had some grasses at that point just spoken through and Enlist. And I think some of the Enlist problems too is we're still thinking we can control foot, 18-inch tall water hemp, which we can make it twist and do some fun things, but I don't know if it ever fully dies. I'm going to jump in here and just say that I also started hearing this year that Enlist works so well, we probably don't need to spray the full rate, huh? Joy. And I immediately went, what? New. This is from, and I'm not going to say name, but this is from someone that, that works at a company that would spray a lot of acres. That's what I'll say about it. Yeah. And I just was being like, uh, no, that is not the way this is going to go. So, so Let's, that, let's and, build resistance. Yeah. In my case, at that point, when we went Roundup Enlist, wiped her out. So so that grower had a lot of cash pumped this year in the yep. herbicide. Um, that specific, specific grower likes to grow a lot of beans, so it's beans on beans. So that's part of the problem, too. We're going to talk about that this winter. Um, but So I, that's kind of where this, in my mind, came up, too. Is like, okay, why are we having to spray these fields three times? Max, you and I had a conversation a couple of times now about, you know, we got this volunteer corn in the mix. Yeah, this so we're, is... We're throwing select or whatever volunteer in. And I totally, 100% agree with you, and I've talked to other agronomists and co-op people that our clethodem is reducing enlist big time. Yeah. There are some decisions made this year that weren't necessarily on agronomics. They were on pricing. Yeah. And, right. th- and that's part of the deal is, and we could spray we could spray super high rates of select and be cheaper than Roundup. And so we 
we we were in in some cases, and I would say I definitely saw an efficacy drop on those on those locations. So, you know, spraying twelve ounces of uh, of selector equivalent product mixed with Enlist, yeah, we had some decent grass control. Even at six or eight ounces that I was thrown in was given a reduced control. Right. So, and I had two fields, same farm. One field had volunteer corn. We put it in. One field didn't. We took it out. The water hemp was the same stage. It was a little bit taller than I wanted to be. Um, scolding myself here, but, you know, it was a foot tall, and where we didn't have the clethodim in, it, it wiped it out. Yeah. I'm actually going to tell you, I felt like this year, for the most part, we were spraying beans, like, and they weren't very dirty. I felt like we were doing really good, and it still didn't didn't seem to matter much. We still had issues, so I thought our second pass was actually a little later and a little cleaner than it usually is when we got out there, and it still was kind of mm, iffy. Mm, yeah. But like you said, there's all these other factors that go into it, so. Yeah, it it's just a... Every, every year it's got to be something right and there's some reason or rhyme to it and we, we just have to adapt as best we can in all these situations and that's you know there's only so much we can control well and, and most of these you don't realize that they're the problem until after you're not gonna you can't foresee some of the i can't foresee that it's not gonna rain for right. for a week or, or that's gonna stay cold for right a month. We're going to get germination between application and incorporation. I mean, that's why they're called BMPs, right? Best management practices, because you you're doing the best job that you think, and then yeah, Mother so Nature. Explodes sometimes you work your plan. plan. Sometimes your plan works you. Yes, <laughs> probably more so the plan <laughs> works you. <laughs> and then I do think as we get these later applications and the beans do get taller, and all of a sudden they do start to take off. If you get if you got thirty inch beans or twenty inch beans, whatever it is, and even maybe drilled, and those water hemp are in there, and you're trying to kill them, and if they're in that row, that soybean row, or next to the row, and you got half of that water hemp plant covered by beans, so yeah, you're getting some of it, which on a velvet leaf or whatever else, fine, it's going to kill it. But with water hemp having a so gazillion. Is that, a, so is that a number, a gazillion? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Gazillion growing points. If you don't get them all, I'm sure you've guys seen water hemp curled up, looks like it's dying, or you come back a week later and there's new branches coming out below where you killed it. Yeah. Because you didn't get coverage, and boom, they're shooting no, again. Water hemp is a hydra. Like, you cut one head off and <laughs> three more grow back in its place. Right. Water hemp's a pain in my butt is what it is. You can call it whatever you want. It's a pain in my butt. And it's, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a pain in the butt. So are we <laughs> going to get to a point, like, potentially we are now with COVID, like, you just have to live with it? Like, you have to live with a few plants out there. These days of having completely clean bean, bean fields from end to end. I, f- I felt just, like last year we were pretty close to clean. Yeah. I think it's going to, it's a factor of just over time, it, we have to keep managing it and not make sure we don't let it go completely you might have the odd years like this year where you're going to have some some carryover but as long as you stay on top of it i don't know that it's going to be any worse than you know know, velvet leaf was i think the one that a lot of guys refer to is like oh velvet leaf was was a killer it was terrible (laughs) 
And now, what do we think of velvet beef? It's, right. Right. Yeah. I remember my father-in-law, like, 30 years ago on his cultivator, like, swearing at <laughs> the velvet leaf as he's more than 30 years ago. Swearing at the velvet leaf as he's cultivating corn. And now, I don't think anybody, like, if you said what's the hardest weed to kill, is that even in the top five? Not even close. No. 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 I... I will uh, I will say that as long as there's still guys planting Roundup Ready 2 soybeans and spraying 60 ounces of Roundup, we're going to have an issue. Yeah. Because that's your neighbor. I mean, right. that, ain't make, that, that doesn't have to go very far to get there. And there's still, I still hear it once in a while that, well, there's a there's a yield drag on the on those fancy new beans just plant Roundup Ready 2s. And it's like, well, all right. that's There's a yield drag when the whole field's water hemp too. So, um, but yeah, so I think we got to get through that first, and then we'll see how much we can really get it under control as a as a whole. But I think we're getting better. It's better than it was four years ago. Right. We are moving in the right direction. It just to think to get the uh, the ones in the road. We need to use the undercover nozzles. There you go. Have them spray up. <laughs> Funny you say that. I had a I had a grower that was doing the undercover fungicide application. Totally off topic, but really cool outcome uh, here doing undercover with the fungicide and he had taken some rye off and planted um sorghum and the sorghum was just getting hammered with with uh, army worms and he's like i'm not taking these nozzles off like it was a custom applicator we didn't really want to get the co-op in because we had the product bought already and so we're like well let's try it he's like well i can flip the undercover nozzle around so instead of spraying up it sprays down so you got the nozzle spraying down off the boom, the normal boom, and then the undercover nozzle, you got one going, you know, two going out at either side of it, and then one going down. It just completely annihilated the, the um, army worm. Like, even better, like, because I had another grower that had some in corn, and we just did over the top, and there's a few that, you know, never came out of the world to get. Yeah. But, so maybe these undercover nozzles have more, more uses than More we, use than we yeah. think. So. It'd be some pretty crazy coverage in a sorghum field, the nozzle setup you're talking. Right. That'd be, be a lot of coverage in there. Right. It was. I didn't get to see it in action or slightly after, but obviously I saw the remnants of the kill. and The, the carcasses? It was sweet. It was sweet. Yeah. No, I, I think you know we've hit a lot of good things here, and really it's just managing your situation as much as you can like you know next spring if it is cold maybe we delay that that yep. first pass instead of going with you know, i love authority first um even sonic does a good job they're very similar things but and they have to go on before the, the beans are out of the ground but there are options once the beans come up that you know rather than spray that that product and have the expense of that Knowing that we're really not getting the the effect that we want, we may have to kind of consider switching switching gears in early season. So, well, and two last things, Matt. Maybe before we move on, yeah. Remember, way back to agronomy one hundred and one. When it gets hot and dry, we get a waxier cuticle on plants, and weeds are no different. So, yeah. if it's hot and dry; those weeds aren't going to be susceptible, as susceptible, I should say. So. Remember those surfactants. Just remember those basic timings and things that with weeds that we got to think about. If it's 
95 degrees in the middle of the afternoon, maybe that's not the best time. Maybe we got to wait a little bit to have it cool down a little bit to let those stomata open back up. Or I know it's hard because you don't want to wait, right? You want to get it done when the weather's nice. But that could be a problem. And then a fun fact is hotter, drier weather. There's different products that just work better and ones that don't as far as when you spray and the evaporation. So we're going to get some evaporation of those spray droplets when it's hot and dry when we do spray post. Um, And come to find out the things that evaporate faster, herbicides that could potentially evaporate faster are the ones we're trying to kill water hemp with post. So dicamba, 2,4-D, those kinds of things actually do dry on the leaves they evaporate faster so you have a lower chance of getting that active into the plant um so we're trying to do trying to kill weeds and the exact things we're trying to kill are the ones that could be could leave us the fastest yep so i guess just things to consider when you're going into next year trying to kill that matt's max's bane of existence so what you're saying is there's no silver bullet <laughs> absolutely not and that was what the grow the lead to this topic was the grower called me and was like oh you got a silver bullet for me and i'm like actually i got probably like a thousand different bullets and pick which one might work this year and might not work i know you you old timers this is just you know whatever we go through these cycles where it's this, this is the new problem and what do we go, how do we get through it? And you guys have seen five of these things go through now. He's, you know, doing a little soybean, longer than me. Soybean uh, rust. Remember that? Yeah. So I remember when the first year I was an intern, when that is when Waterhemp made its kind of appearance here in Northeast Wisconsin and riding with, with Jeff Polensky and calls coming from all over the state of Wisconsin to Jeff, what are we going to do? You know, agronomists, co-op guys, farms that we didn't work with. I mean, it was just crazy hearing it. And now I think five, here I am five, six years later, and we're fighting the same battle. Just a lot. We're a lot better at it now. Yeah. I remember the first field, like, we sprayed it, and, like, this water hemp didn't die. Like, what? Like, what happened here? Let's oh, call up the co-op, come back out and respray it. Like, not even given any thought to the fact this, that... This red root pigweed sure yeah, is tough. Yeah, right. it's not dying. We <laughs> sprayed it like three times with Roundup, and it's yeah. still there. And then going, yeah, okay. Got it. <laughs> now I get it. It ain't going to die. And someday we'll be talking about the next thing, and maybe water hemp will be our, our velvet leaf. Who knows? Hey, I think we'll all be happy at that point. <laughs> That'll be good. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe the next thing yeah, is the worse. Yeah, the next thing we may not be happy with, but... All right, now we'll move into our spotlight for today. Today we're going to talk Crave Brothers. They are named the 2022 Grand Master Cheesemaker at the Wisconsin State Fair down in West Dallas. So Team Crave Brothers won the coveted title of Grand Master Cheesemaker. The announcement was made at the start of the Blue Ribbon Dairy Products auction on Thursday, August 11th in the Saz's Hospitality Pavilion just prior to the auction featuring all the Blue Ribbon Dairy Products at the fair. Craves are out of Waterloo, Wisconsin. 
They have won numerous awards for their cheese over the years, but it's the first time they won the coveted Wisconsin State Fair Award, and they did it with their winning entry of a chocolate mascarpone cheese. Entry scored 99.7 in the flavored soft cheese class. A chocolate mascarpone, pretty good. Have you tried it? I have not. I'm I'm gonna I'm on their website right now. You got order you, it. You have a way to get some hooked I, up with that. I, yeah, I, mean, I could probably on, find man. some. I could probably find some. No, uh, I when I when I first read this when it came out, uh, I was reading it. On, I don't know Monday this article came out. I was reading the thing and I saw like chocolate mascarpone and I was like, what a what a what an idea. I mean, it sounds pretty good to me though. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd try that. It is definitely it's a, cheese. You try any cheese. Yeah, right? I mean, right. come on. Well, I don't know. The stinky cheeses <laughs> I might pause on. Fair like, enough. Like a Limburger or other stinky cheese. Here's their, here's their product details for the chocolate mascarpone. Oh, let's go. Use for fruit dip, serve with cookies, fill tart shells or graham cracker pie crust, layer with sponge cake cubes in trifle dish, layer in parfait glass with cookie crumbles and nuts. Use as frosting on cupcakes and muffins, fill cannoli shells, dip with a biscotti, Use in your favorite cheesecake recipe. I was say, cheesecake is where I would have targeted that one, I think. A nice chocolate cheesecake. Oh, mm. I, I would think a chocolate mascarpone. Trifle. On, with a little fresh strawberry. And just yeah. Boom. Bang. Dang, man. Sounds good. Anyway. So there you go. Congratulations to the Crave Brothers on their Master Cheesemaker Award. And we'll do a quick GDU update. So... We haven't. Uh, what? Push the button. Oh, sorry. Yeah, do the. You're right. Todd's not here to do the reggaeton horn. I gotta. It's a different app. It's on here. We'll get here, guys. We gotta have the horn, or we can't do it. It doesn't count. It doesn't work. There you go. There's Good. the horn. I love it. All right. <clears throat> so GDU update. Uh, these are again starting May first, so not from the beginning of the year. Up north in Crivets, to date, they are at 1784. Their normal is 1580, and that is a difference of 204 GDUs above normal. So they're, they're still kicking it. Yep, still kicking it and still looking to get more in the next two weeks. They had other issues, though, early. Yeah, there was some dry weather. Dry weather, there. yeah. So they're ahead, but not really. Maybe yeah. not a good thing to be right. that far ahead. Right. Uh, here in Seymour, home of the Tilth World Headquarters, we're at 1808. Normal is 1802, so we are six above normal, so basically running right at average. That's normal, right? Yep. It all comes out average in the end, fellas. Just remember that. In the next two days or two weeks, 2081 for our total, so you know, hanging right in there with some GDUs. And finally, down in Sun Prairie... To date, they are at 2,084 GDUs. Their normal is 1811, so they are 273 GDUs above normal. So they're rocking it in the GDU department again this year. Max, are you seeing any dented corn when you go south yet? No. No, it's still pretty yellow. Still pretty blistery. 
Okay. <laughs> a lot of it. It's a they had a little bit of a slower start this spring, and so it didn't. Yeah, they're ahead, but they're behind. I guess. Behind. Well, and they're probably their maturity ranges are. We were pl- up there. Probably we were too. planting up here before they were planting down there yeah. too. And they're planting 105, 112, probably. Yeah, 14. Yeah. So all the conversation I had this week, is silage going to be early? No. No. Nope. Not by any means. It's going to be right on time. Average. He just said it averages. It all comes out average in the end. Just different how you get there. All right. Now we'll move into the egg history minute. This week we are going to talk glyphosate resistance. After glyphosate was introduced in the mid-1970s, it was used primarily for burndown and perennial weed control in corn and soybeans. Such uses limited the number of applications in acres sprayed. Generally, glyphosate was also mixed with or followed by other herbicides, a practice that increased herbicide diversity. These practices probably helped prevent glyphosate-resistant weeds from developing early on, since the introduction of Roundup Ready crops in 1996 and the dramatic decrease in its price, glyphosate has been widely used for both burn down and in crop weed control. This significantly increased the number of acres where glyphosate is used and greatly increased the potential for selecting glyphosate resistant weeds. So, here in the United States, we had rigid ryegrass becoming glyphosate resistant in 1998. Horseweed or mare's tail in 2000, Italian ryegrass in 2004, common ragweed in 2004, palmer amaranth, and water hemp, like we just discussed today, in both in 2005. Now, some of those are only found in certain states. Uh, horseweed, probably the most diverse in 14 different states. Otherwise, there are a few others, other states that carry the resistance in other weeds worldwide there's also a number of different weeds that have become glyphosate resistant as well so like we talked about when we got technology we want to use it correctly so that we can keep its efficacy for as long as possible and not run right into resistance because at this point water hemp not only glyphosate resistant but resistant to half dozen other herbicides if not more so let's hope we can keep our technology working for as long as possible broadleaf plantain roundup resistance 2003 in south africa imagine not being able to kill plantain how angry that would make you (laughs) well johnson grass in argentina too i mean we've seen enough johnson grass and Southern Wisconsin. I've seen some Johnson grass kill issues a little bit, but I still think broadleaf plantain would bother me more. (laughs) All right. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast and tell a farmer friend. Help them out. Show them how to find a podcast. Search Tilt Talk Radio if you're using Apple Podcasts or Android. We like to use Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM. If you want to listen on your computer or smartphone without an app, you can go to your browser and type in tiltagcom slash podcasts. We're also available on Amazon Music, so yes, you can ask Alexa to find our podcast. Usually it works a little better if you 
go in on your computer first and subscribe to our podcast and then tell Alexa to play my subscribed podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. You guys ready to wrap things up with some cool beans? That's corny. You bet. All right. Cool beans? Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. All right. Our cool beans this week. Premium alfalfa delivered by Amazon. So no, you can't just go on Prime and order a truckload of hay, but uh, a dairy farmer, Steve Maddox, whose wife loves Amazon, found out that... (laughs) could begin utilizing their shipping service. <laughs> what, if, what if the truck showed up, you know, talk about primnesia, right? You, you forget. Forget you ordered it and then the box is just there. Honey, there's a semi in the yard. What uh, did you order? Fun fact, I know someone who had that happen. I don't know if it was an Amazon semi, but it was the, during the toilet paper shortage, they ended up ordering in cases as opposed to roll, like oh boy, like an accident, an accident, and yeah, so a semi arrived at their house to unload all the the eighteen cases or whatever of toilet paper they ordered. So then they looked like the jack right. wagons who were like hoarding were toilet hoarding. paper, yeah. but really it was just a, a ordering error. You you can buy alfalfa hay on Amazon, very small quantities. <laughs> so yeah, Prime backhauled twenty one tons of hay from their hay ranch at a cost of about $1,250 for shipping. Uh, that is down from its peak in December of 2021 where he was paying around 2000 to have it shipped, but up considerably from eight years ago. So the cost of trucking from Utah to California back then was 900 to 1000 So it's still a little bit higher than that currently, but he milks 4,000 cows with an equal number of heifers and farms 1,600 acres of almonds and has 3,000 acres of wine grapes as well. Wow, diverse. So he's got diverse a pretty farm diverse there. farm, yeah. According to Maddox, Amazon Prime has many orders heading east but lacks loads coming back west, so they are always looking to backhaul. So yeah, that works out pretty good for him. Have an Amazon truck full of hay. I suppose the containers get dumped off on the... Western side of the country, and they truck it all. Right, all the shipping east. comes in there, and yeah. Though I, I do imagine, I'm just looking at this picture of a skid steer loading hay bales into the back of a semi. It's got to be kind of a tight fit. Yeah. You know, you're not getting as much as you would a, a flatbed semi of hay like you, we see often on the road. Sure. You're, you're a little bit limited that way, but... Yeah, but it probably hasn't fallen off. Right. Yeah, you're not losing Absolutely bales. Absolutely not. Or not get, that a hay bale would... Or getting wet. Or getting rained Or getting wet. Not that a hay bale would ever fall off. <laughs> Never <laughs> seen that. Man, yeah. they really strawed this ditch pretty good, huh? Well, it, as long as it's in the ditch. I had one, a big round bale I almost drove into once on a curve as it fell off. Whoops. <laughs> right on 141. Oh. So, yeah, good... Could make somebody's day awful bad. Four laner. Yeah. That was not good. Didn't tie that one down very good, did you? No, I saw what it was being hauled on, and it wasn't a surprise that it fell off. <laughs> so let's just let's leave it at that. It was not, not the most secure setup in the world. Yep. I know exactly the setup you're talking about. <laughs> All right. And our That's Corny this week, the unrelenting heat is taking a toll on yield. So as the end of a long, hot growing season approaches, 
as we talked about, you know, we some areas have been seeing drought conditions and that lack of rain or even having some rain but being so hot it evaporates pretty fast is going to play havoc on on some yields. So certain areas are looking at uh, the potential of pretty bad corn yields. Beans might be a little bit better off, um, but either way it's not going to be the yield goal for some of these guys. So I know this particular one here is South Dakota. The rains have been spotty to non-existent. It's amazing how, how long crops can hang on with hot and dry weather, but overall, even with good pollination, the corn ears are shortening up and 14 to 16 around. going to be all they're going to get. No 18s, 20s. Well, as we were talking before about the uh, really good heat units in the southern parts of Wisconsin, that goes with uh, warm nights as well, which leads to a few less kernels. And I can see it starting to starting to show up already. It's almost been a little too warm. Yeah. So it's not, yeah, it's maybe not as bad as they got it, but even around here we can feel that heat a little bit. Yeah, so hopefully we'll have some some well-timed rains yet this season to help kind of finish out that grain fill on on all those acres, but hot and dry, not always the best growing conditions. So that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked about water hemp and why it might still be out in your field. In our spotlight, we looked at Crave Brothers winning the Grandmaster Cheesemaker Award at Wisconsin State Fair, gave you a GDU update, talked glyphosate resistance in our Ag History Minute, wrapped it all up with our Cool Beans, which was premium hay, able to be delivered by Amazon Prime, and our That's Corny, the heat and drought conditions taking a toll on our yields this year. So may not be some bin busters this year out there. So thanks for listening and as always, happy farming.